Hello and welcome to Starkcast. I'm Joe Stark, and today I am talking with my good friend Rod Clairbout. What's up, dude? How's it going, man? Ah, oh, so excited, so excited. It's been oh yeah, it's been too long. I mean, you and I podcast together all the time on uh, Number One Comic Books with uh, with uh, Brian and Rebecca, but uh, it's been quite a while since you and I just did Starkcast with uh, just the two of us. So this is pretty cool. Yeah, it's been a minute. <laughs> yeah, I think it said July 2018 on Skype, so <laughs> almost a year. <laughs> year. But yeah, I had all that time off for a while though, too. Yeah, yeah, you took a break for a little bit. <laughs> yes, be- between technical uh hardware issues and then uh, I don't know, maybe a light bout of depression, whatever that was. But <laughs> <laughs> for a while, dude, it was just like I'd like think about doing a Starcast episode, I'd be like, "The fuck am I going to talk about?" Like, and it's like, so that's not a good place to be, but, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, happy to be back. And, uh, and we were texting, uh, last night and, uh, you had asked if I'd listened to the, that most recent episode of the Joe Rogan experience with Bob Lazar. And I was like, yes, that's fucking batshit crazy. Awesome. Yeah. And you're like, oh my God, I'm going to watch that documentary tonight. And I'm like, oh, I'll watch it too. And so then boom, here we are. <laughs> we're doing an episode and we're going to tell everybody about this Bob Lazar documentary. That's fucking uh, nuts. <laughs> it is so nuts. <laughs> and um, if you're not in the know, uh, the documentary is called Bob Lazar, Area 51 and Flying Saucers. It's available on Netflix. So I, I know there's a whole lot of people out there that are going to have really easy access to this. Um, it, it's only a, like, what, 97 minutes long. So it's a, it's a quick watch. And uh, it's a very, very interesting story. And, and what I like the most about this is that it, it, it takes this guy's story and it, it lays out what his story is. And then it does a whole lot of research into showing this guy's background and the lengths that the government went to erase this seemingly the the lengths that the government went to to erase this guy's past um but uh, rob what what in a nutshell is bob lazar's story i mean basically he's he's working for um another he calls it s4 which was in the area 51 like compound basically it was just a different building about 15 miles i think south of it and he was a physicist that, w- that dealt with mainly like propulsion and they had him come in and ex- he was I guess he talks about he was applying for different jobs because uh, he was originally working for Los Alamos and he gets a couple vague descriptions of like a job that he might be doing and he gets hired. He talks about his first day there, just filling out tons of debriefing paperwork, but he basically gets to try to reverse engineer some propulsion system that they've found that doesn't seem to be from this earth or this universe. Um, cause the technology basically controls gravity and can produce its own gravity, which we don't have the technology to do. And it's just this like whole story of him coming out of either at the time it was a George Knapp was a the investigator that kind of broke his story when he came out about it. And it's just kind of blown up ever since. Yeah, yeah, the original story broke in 1989, and um, he came out and said that basically the U.S. government has alien spacecrafts in their possession. They have some that are operational, and they have some that are not operational, and the operational one, the, the ones that are not operational, they're basically like taking apart and trying to reverse engineer and figure out how these things work. Um, he claims that, that the 
the engine in these things basically is a very small antimatter reactor and it there are like oh, what did he call them there's gravity amplifiers there's like three gravity amplifiers around them and they can just change the direction of where these gravity amplifiers are pointing and so what'll basically happen is like two of them will be keeping the craft upright and then another one will point forward and it'll just create denser gravity in front of the craft and essentially the craft just falls into that gravity well and when it wants to travel super fast through space is it just points all those gravity amplifiers in the same direction and it can travel really goddamn fast apparently um i mean the story is like fantastic (laughs) basically i mean there's there's really no other way to put it it's it's just such an incredible story that i mean the the rational mind just doesn't want to accept it. But when you look at all the other facts of what happened around it, the amount of times that he's been raided by the FBI, uh, the fact that uh, his birth certificate is no longer in existence, they wiped out all of his employment records, his school records. And in the documentary, they go and, and basically talk to people who went to school with him and say, yeah, yeah, he went there. Uh, they, they find an old phone book from one of the places where they said that he didn't work there and his name is clearly in the phone book registry. And so there, there's so many fishy things around it. And the guy just doesn't seem like the sort of person that would be like, yeah, I'm gonna make up this story. And so I don't know, but just jumping right in right away when the documentary was all finished up, did you believe Bob's story? Yeah, I, I believed his story just because, um, I mean, mainly, He's never changed his story in the almost 30 years that he's been telling it. Um, and then a lot of the things that he was talking about at the time that seemed just absolutely crazy have ended up in more recent years being proven that were actually true. So a lot of those things are what makes me believe it. I mean, and I'm also one of those people. I, I don't. I think it's kind of naive of us to think that in as large of a universe as we're in and that all these galaxies that we'd be only – planet ever that hasn't some type of intelligent life forms on it yeah to me, I, to me i just think that's kind of ridiculous to think that we're the only ones so i've always thought that there's probably something else out there it's just one of those things where it's so large is there ch- is the chances of us actually coming in contact with it likely or not so oh yeah in, re- in relation to the size of the universe like the the earth and its inhabitants are are pretty insignificant just in terms of the sheer amount of planets that are out there. Um, yeah. But yeah, at the end of the documentary, I believed it too. And it, like the, the details of the story in, you know, like how I explained how the craft kind of works and all that stuff, like that stuff is, is so out there, but it's the stuff that the government did in, in retaliation to him coming out and saying that they were like really clinched it for me. Um, it shows lots of clips throughout the documentary of the original 1989 thing that like he went on, it was like he was on some sort of, I mean, it's showing like a much younger version of Bob Lazar and he's being interviewed by it. And, um, the details that he tells on his story then are exactly the same as the details he tells. Now there's the part in where it has this, it shows the hand scanner, like in that original interview, he described this hand scanner that you had to go through and it would like shine an intense light through your hand and basically measure the length of your bones. And that's how it would ID you. And he said that you'd put your hand on it and there were these little pegs that separated the fingers. And then there was a light overhead that shined down. 
And basically this guy that's doing the film, uh, this, um, the guy who put this documentary together, his name is Jeremy Corbell. And, um, he did a bunch of digging on the internet and he actually found a picture of the hand scanner and he shows it to Bob Lazar in this documentary. And the guy's like, wow, I didn't think I'd ever see this again. And it shows the picture and it's exactly how he described it. It's this weird ass old, like seventies looking technology with that. You'd put your hand on, it had the pegs and everything. It was like, it was just unbelievable that this thing that this dude described like in the like eighties, like early, late eighties, early nineties, and now in 2019, he's being shown a picture of it. And I don't know that that sort of evidence right there. Like, you know, it's almost like evidence of just little side things. It's nothing big, but it's like when these little details add up. Yeah. And he was so surprised by it too. Like he was like, you were saying he never thought he was going to see one again. And the fact that he reacted the way you could tell it was such a genuine reaction that if he had been making this up and just describing something that he had never seen before that, seen it he probably wouldn't have had much of a reaction to it at first oh wow i mean it, it was it was just so wild <clears throat> and um the the raids that the fbi did <laughs> on his place yeah. so so uh, like one of the big things that came out of that is they were saying that this this reactor it worked off of this element that i guess is an element that could be synthesized by like it's not a naturally occurring element on earth but it's something that could be synthesized and they call it element 115 and in his original interviews he said that he got some of the element 115 out of the facility and so the that george knapp guy originally kind of helped bring the story to life he uh he it's his genuine belief that that's really what the government's after but so it shows a part in this documentary where him and the filmmaker are alone out in the woods. Like they've basically put their phones a distance away from them and they're talking about this element 115. And then the next day, Bob's like work is raided in like an all day raid with like multiple different government agencies coming through, like basically sectioning his entire facility off in like one meter fucking squares so that they can like check everything with a fine tooth comb. And they said that they're looking for an invoice of something that he had potentially sold to somebody a couple years before or something. And it's like, yeah, fucking right. Right. <laughs> it's like, why would you go to all this stuff? If it like, there's plenty of fucking whack jobs out there that make up crazy stories. And if the government's trying to just say that Bob Lazar is one of those whack jobs, then it's like, why would you do that? Why, why would you raid his place? And so I don't know. It, it's, it's lots of little evidence along the sidelines and it's enough that piles up to where it's like, yeah, I, I believe him. And what's wild about that whole raid thing too, is during like that, when they go out into the woods and they talk basically before they have the discussion about this element one fifteen, uh, the, the filmmaker basically says like, I'm going to encrypt this. So that way, if we decide we don't want to play it, we don't have to, I'm going to put them on separate like hard drives and all this stuff. So that if we ever decide we want to release them, we can things like that to just show all the security. And we don't actually get to hear this conversation. They just show it sped up that they did talk for probably five, six minutes about this element. And then it kind of, then they put it back to normal, normal speed and they're done talking about it. And even later in the documentary, he kind of tries to ask him about it again, and he still doesn't want to talk about it. So 
that alone is really interesting to me that if if this per- I feel like this per- a person that really had was faking taking something like this they would maybe be more wanting to let people know about it and he's afraid to talk about it cuz he he knows how he basically explains like how important having if we could have this element cuz we can't I don't from the way I took it we don't know we can't pre- um synthesize it and keep it stable yet yeah we can only create it as unstable and he was explaining how elements all elements have stable and unstable uh, atoms in it, and that the one that came from the spacecraft was completely synthesized or completely stable, and it looked like it was natural and organic. It hadn't been synthesized. So he was saying, if we could ever get to the point that we had this technology, I mean, we could literally turn science fiction into real life because we'd be able to produce force fields. We'd be able to move throughout time and space extremely quickly and things like that. And it's just, you could just tell how excited he was and interested in the technology, but how terrified he was that he knew it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what's really wild too, is that the FBI in that raid, they referenced that conversation that those guys had by themselves out in the woods. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They said like, this what? is about that conversation that so clearly, even if they, move their phones far enough away there was they were still being listened to some way Ugh. <laughs> that's some creepy shit man and then like like some of the other small things he um he they explained in the documentary that they did flight tests on it and maneuver tests but they did them on wednesday nights out over a certain mountain range because that was when traffic on the interstate was least um populated so less likely chance of anybody seeing it And he actually started taking for a few weeks straight. He took some of his friends out there to show them and they actually put it on. They recorded it a couple times until they were finally caught the third time. But I mean, like they're saying is it's 1980s camcorder high definition, that type of stuff. So it's not very detailed. Like you can kind of see you see a light moving back and like moving in very extreme dramatic ways that you would never see any type of craft from our earth move. Yeah, it's crazy. And and it is like a classic, like flying saucer shape. And like, he has like several drawings and like, even like models and stuff of what it looked like. And what, whatever things were in there, you know, operating these were about half the size of like a full grown person. And he said that, that in like around the research facilities and stuff, they referred to, you know, the aliens as kids, which is fucking creepy. Man. Yeah. That's so creepy. They call them the kids. I was like, Oh God, it sounds like a horror movie aspect right there. <laughs> but yeah. So I mean, b- between the documentary and then listening to him talk about it on Rogan as well, like it was, it, it's a really fascinating story. And, and if you're in any way, you know, a, a UFO enthusiast or anything like that. This is not something you're going to want to miss out on. Oh yeah. You got to check this out. I, I swear that this documentary was first released somewhere else because I remember hearing Rogan talk about it on an earlier podcast. Well, it was probably and, that like 89 interview. He probably no, remembers that. Well, no, like Rogan had mentioned that he just watched this documentary because that's how it got him wanting to um, get Bob Lazar on because he'd been working on it for a while. He saw the documentary, but at the time, I don't think it was on Netflix. Or if it was, I just totally forgot the name of it no, and never true. found it. 
it says on IMDb that it it was released in December of 2018. So it is this one's a fairly new one, but I mean, all that that story that George Knapp initially broke, he said that that was picked up basically internationally and it was played everywhere around the world. And that's kind of one of the things that really blew up Area 51. Okay, yeah. So maybe he was just referencing that original one, and at the time when I searched for it, it hadn't existed yet. Yeah, they like, hadn't hadn't been released on Netflix. Yeah, exactly. But I don't know. I I I think the the documentary is really well done. It's really well shot. It, it's interesting how um how the uh, Jeremy Corbell does the interviews with George Knapp because a lot of those are just kind of over the phone. And so you're not seeing George Knapp, but you're just hearing his voice through speakerphone. And (laughs) towards the beginning of the doc, you actually see George Knapp and he has like the most verbose fucking intro that I've ever heard anybody do. (laughs) Right. And And it's like, also it's like, he's standing in like a, like apparently his house has like an indoor pool in it. Yeah, so he's standing in that area. <laughs> Which is like the most echoey fucking room in existence where it's like, okay, did you guys do this on purpose just for a weird effect? <laughs> yeah, he's doing like that echo and everything. I was getting so annoyed by that. Beginning. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, is this the actual how the documentary is going to be? <laughs> oh my God. Could, could you believe the way that I, when he first started talking though, I was like, is this fucking guy for real? <laughs> like, we welcome can't... to fabulous Las Vegas city of sin, city of gambling. <laughs> Like, Jesus, dude, just fucking talk. <laughs> Sounds like Casey Kasem. <laughs> right. And the, well, the other thing about this, which was great um, for the filming aspect of it in this documentary, is that Jeremy Corbell wasn't um, he wasn't a big believer in UFOs. He was trying to disprove him by doing this. And as he was doing his research and filming it, he realized like a lot of these things he couldn't and that they ended up being being true. Uh, so it made it it was good that it was being shot more from like a, a non-believers point of view compared to someone that just wanted to believe every single word he said. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's, it's narrated by Mickey Rourke, which I don't think was a good idea. <laughs> no, I don't know why they chose him. He's so hard to understand at points in this. Like it's just like the words are slurring together. Oh yeah. His voice is so fucking gravelly. Where it's like, <laughs> it's just like having crazy. Sam Elliott or something. It would have been so much better with Sam Elliott. That's funny that you bring that up because that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Because like if they're, if they're trying to go for that deep, deep, somber type voice and everything, at least use someone that's more, they can under, you can clearly understand them better. I mean, Mickey, <laughs> I like Mickey Rourke, but I mean, I yeah, he just, I feel like Sam Elliott or someone with a deep voice like that, that's just a lot more crisp and clear would have been better to use <laughs> it's not like it added it's not like his narration when, when you're actually hearing what he was saying was really adding anything to the documentary itself they were just more kind of like transition points in the topics yeah, exactly and so a lot of the stuff he's saying is is fucking weird anyway and <laughs> i don't know it's like his character from sin city narrating it the only yep. way it would have been better is if it would have been his character from iron man 2 Oh, God. <laughs> if he'd have been doing that terrible Russian accent the whole time, it'd have been a beautiful thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, so yeah, that's, you know, I'd say we are both rational minded people, but, um, I don't know at the, at the end of the day, we both believed it. We both believed Bob's story and yeah, it, it didn't seem crazy. I mean, if, if you were going to have a person try and tell, a lie. I feel like 
his profession, he was a physicist. Those would be the type of people that could give you the most believable lies because they understand technology and the way things work very, very well. But the fact that he actually did work for all these places, it would have been one thing if there would have actually never been proof that he did work at any of these places that he said he worked and things like that. Then you could maybe start the belief. But there's like what Jeremy was saying in the movie, in the documentary, as there's about like five or six different things that really made him believe that ended up becoming truths or that were never like that they could never prove were lies. So the fact that you go off of those five or six things that made him believe that he's telling the truth. Yeah. In, in the way that they close out the documentary is basically Bob saying, you know, look, this is my story. I don't, I'm not asking you to believe it. I don't care if you believe it, like, but this is what happened. And, and, and I, I like that that's how they leave it off. Yeah. I like that he uses the analogy too throughout the documentary um, and even in the, when he talks about it on the Rogan podcast as well about basically throwing – this is like the equivalent of if we dropped off like a nuclear reactor or something like that in the Victorian era. They would study it and everything like that. They'd have no idea what it is, nothing about the technology because it hadn't been invented yet to under really understand it. And it's kind of like what we're doing with this stuff. We don't know exactly how it works and we're trying to – figure out what what's causing it to work the way it does and he also i think it's in the in the rogan podcast when he talks about that some of these other like it's hard for us on earth to grasp how technology would work somewhere else but he was basically comparing well in in another planet on a different galaxy that element just naturally exists so if that now if that element naturally existed here where do you think technology would have started at to begin with instead of us going through the stone ages and things like that and building tools? If we'd have just naturally had this element, how quickly technology would have advanced. And it's hard for humans, I guess, just because we're not used to, we always expect that every other place is going to have the same type of technology um, increment growth. But that's not necessarily the case in these other galaxies that where this technology could be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just such a wild thing. I mean, apparently this element 115, it, it directly influences gravity. It like projects its own gravity or something. It's, I don't know. It's, it's wild and it's really, really fascinating. Um, and man, if it, if it really is the case, I, I hope it gets blown, you know, completely wide open at some day in the, because he basically one of the reasons that he came forward was because he just felt like it was like a real crime to the scientific community that the government had this technology and they were sitting on it and they weren't making it more widely available for for study and, and letting more people in the scientific community take a crack at unlocking it. Because the, I mean, it would completely change everything. The, you know, there would be no more gas. They, you know, like cars and everything like that would pretty much all go away. The the current status quo for for many different technologies would instantly be affected, and and then it, like it, it leads into the more conspiratorial overtones of, well, do the people in power really want that to happen? I mean, if they can have this technology, if they could duplicate this and put force fields around tanks and fighter jets and even around individual soldiers and stuff. I mean, that would be the biggest development ever 
in in warfare, I mean, you'd be invincible. Yeah. So, oh man, they, so th- I mean, there's a lot of darkness associated with it as well in in, and, in reasoning behind maybe why this stuff is is you know not being shared with the public. And not to mention, like, what sort of upheaval would it potentially have across the globe to have concrete evidence that, yeah, we're not alone. And there are other peoples out there that's technology is so advanced that we can't even wrap our fucking heads around it. And then that can lead into the other scary questions and paranoia of, you know, do they mean us harm? Are they going to to wipe us out? You know, all of that. And clearly, if they have enough of these crafts and they're just here in the United States, you'd have to think that there's potentially some elsewhere around the globe. Yeah. Well, that's, and the thing too, I also kind of, I feel like the main, if, if this is true and we don't have any idea exactly what it is and how it works and things like that, I think that's the main reason why they wouldn't be telling us if they could, if they would have been able to figure out how this stuff worked and all those things that they had actual answers and we're still just not dumbfounded and trying to research this like they probably are. I think that's the main reason why they haven't told us. There's really no reason to be like, well, public, we have found a flying saucer has technology we've never seen, have no clue how it works. You say that and it's just going to cause panic across the world. (laughs) So like it'd be better until they actually can give us some type of actual scientific evidence of how things work that, other scientists and physicists, things like that can back up. I think it does make more sense to kind of try to keep it from the public in that sense. But if they're, I mean, obviously depending on what governments have these technologies at their disposal right now, if they actually could use them, yeah, they, most of them would want to try to keep it secret for the use of military purposes and warfare. Yeah. And I mean, that totally makes sense. So it's, you know, if you're, I mean, so much of this is just riding on the edge of conspiracy theory. And then that itself is such an umbrella topic. It's like, all right, this is to me, like a lot of this stuff from this documentary, like makes complete rational sense to me. But then if it's lumped in on conspiracy theory, then it's right there with fucking flat earth people and and really preposterous shit like that. So... (laughs) So like yeah. a, a part of me, even though I, I say, yeah, I believe Bob's story and I believe that the government would be covering all that stuff. There's a little part of me that's like, you sound crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I Like I said before, I, I believe Bob's story and it, and it wouldn't surprise me if the government was doing that sort of shit for those reasons. Yeah. Well, and. Did I was kind of getting the vibe when I was watching that he like he's literally like they um I don't know how familiar you are with Big Bang Theory but he reminded me of Sheldon so much like the things that he did grow I mean like ever since he was a kid he was building jet jet engines to put on shit like he'd put on a bike and then he ended up having a jet engine car and all this crazy shit and he always built fireworks and stuff like that yeah, I would have shown him build the fireworks and stuff in the episode I thought that was really cool and and yeah the the jet powered bikes and like at the time that he got hired, he had he had a particle accelerator that he had built in his bedroom. Right. And that's fucking crazy shit. I do you know who Michio Kaku is? Uh-uh. He's a, a college professor and a, a physicist and stuff. He's on like a lot of documentaries about the universe and stuff like that. Um really, really interesting dude. But he's super genius to the point where when he was in high school, he built a particle accelerator in his garage. 
and basically to like wind all of the rolls of like copper wire and stuff. Like he talked his parents into like going out to like the local school's football field and like using the goalposts to like hang like the copper rolls from so he could spread it clear out across the field to like wire it in the right configuration and shit like that. That's nuts. <laughs> it's fucking crazy. <laughs> it's, crazy. It's just crazy. That there's like I think I'm pretty clever in lots of different ways, but building a that's particle a totally accelerator like that's, <laughs> that's fucking insane. I couldn't even rewire a toaster. <laughs> you know? Yeah, to have that type of like mental capacity and be that intelligent, like an Elon Musk type person and things like that. Just the, the things that you think about are just so different. Yeah. Yeah, so I I don't know, like my buddy James uh, Wetzel that, I, that I've had on the podcast a bunch of times, like he builds like neutrino detectors and shit like that for fun. Like little things that light up when a neutrino passes through it. Because, it, it you know, like right now as you and I, you know, you sitting where you are in, in Ohio and me sitting here in Iowa, as we were talking, there are neutrinos that originated from the sun that are like passing through our bodies. Like we're not even there. That's wild. Yeah, and he builds little <laughs> fucking toys that like look like retro fucking robots and shit like that that'll then light up when neutrinos go through them. And it's like, I have no idea how you did that, James, but it's fucking amazing. And I'm glad that there are people in the world that have your level or that level of intelligence that they're yeah. able to do shit and study things at that level. Because, I mean, like like the stuff that shows in this documentary, I mean, that is entirely next level science. And like a part of me... A very big part of me is so excited for for scientific developments of that nature that that a really big part of me just wants this documentary to be true as well. Yeah, I I don't know if we'll ever be told or if there's ever going to be some type of big enough phenomenon or something that basically proves that there's UFOs. But who knows? Maybe we'll get lucky. (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i I much more want it to be like they come down and they're they're benign because if it goes independence day we're in trouble (laughs) right yeah we're fucked (laughs) we gotta call it we gotta hope will smith is still around (laughs) oh man hey that would be a great transition if you're ready to move on from from the do you any other thoughts on on bob lazar area 51 and flying saucers Nope. Just check out the podcast with them on there. And then also the documentary. It's they're both very interesting and thought provoking. (laughs) Fucking a man. Okay. So speaking of Will Smith on Wednesday, I went and saw the new Aladdin. And when news of it was first being broke that, you know, they're going to be doing this live action version of it and like i remembered the cartoon from when i was a kid and i really liked the cartoon when i was a kid and i was immediately like oh fuck that i i don't want to see that and then when the pictures of will blue will smith were released i was like this is, <laughs> this is fucking atrocious what are they doing and um so i i went and saw it basically just through like a scheduling conflict my wife wasn't able to go and so i went in her place and I was pleasantly delighted. I mean, y- using the, the the pop culture leftovers rating system, I would give it a high taste it, which would be like a four out of five. And that in itself surprised the shit out of me. <laughs> yeah, when I saw the the original trailer for it and saw what he looked like, I really, I mean, I saw the Aladdin when I was a kid, but I haven't seen it since. Um, I mean, I played the video game on Sega as a kid too, but yeah, I had no interest in seeing this movie. 
I'm not a, like a huge Disney person to begin with, but yeah, seeing him, I was like, oh god, this could be real bad. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I went into it like basically sitting in the theater seat, like, oh geez, this is just gonna be a waste of two hours of my time. Like, I, I'm happy to be here the with, with my kids, and I went with my sister and her daughter and my mom. And so that was really cool because I, I'd never like when we sat down, my mom leaned over and she's like, this is the first time I've ever had both my kids and all my grandkids all together in the movie theater. And so that was really cool, especially for her. But j- just for me, I was like, I do not care about watching this movie whatsoever. And then by the end of it, there were moments where it was like, oh, and it, and it pretty much follows the cartoon also. So I knew mostly every beat of the movie. I mean, it's it's a very similar story to what was told in the animated movie, and so even when knowing certain things were coming, like <laughs> it like made me tear up a couple of times, which was crazy. But um, I ended up liking it a lot more than I thought I would. I thought everybody did a good job with the singing. When it first starts off, and you see Will Smith, and he first starts singing, you're like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> like whoa, what do we what have we got going on here? But but by the end of the movie, I really liked it. I, I liked everything he did. I, I'm, I've heard some people say that they thought that he was trying to do like, like bad Robin Williams impressions, and and I I don't know if that was entirely bore out. Like I if, to me, it still had a Will Smith feel to it, and I don't know. I I liked it. I I tend to like a lot of his movies anyway, but I'm definitely by no means like a diehard Will Smith fan. I don't go out and see everything just because he's in it. But but I really liked it, and the the guy they had playing Aladdin and the and the lady they had playing Jasmine did really really good. I liked the CGI on the tiger; I thought that was great, and Abu as well. Um, some people had had problems with Jafar, but uh, the guy playing him, but he he didn't bother me. I bought that he was a fucking conniving snake in the grass that just wanted to be, you know, powerful. And and it was it was cool. All the sets were great. I I loved all the big dance numbers with like all the different extras and everything. Um, I just feel like there's, in some ways, it almost harkened back to older movies where they would have tons of extras on the set and like you know doing big productions and stuff like that. And I don't know. The movie worked for me. I liked it. (laughs) That's good. I mean, it seems like I mean even if people don't want these movies to be remade in the live action. I mean, they've done a, it seems like a pretty good job with almost all of them so far that have come out. I know the jungle book was pretty highly received by most people. Um, and it sounds like Aladdin from, from some of the things that I've seen that it's been rated pretty well. Like it has a pretty positive response. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, I hadn't seen the original was it John Favreau did a jungle book one. I don't yep. think I saw that one, but the jungle book wasn't one of those movies that I saw a lot when I was a kid. Like I, I don't, I, I couldn't have even told you what the fucking plot was. Um, I ended up watching the one that came out on Netflix. I think that was the Andy circus version. I ended up watching that one. Okay. Was that, yeah, that was the one that was, um, what was it called? It was called something else. It wasn't called, Mo- was, I think it was called Mowgli. Mowgli. Yeah. 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 Um, but I mean, and then we got the lion King that's coming out. I'm sure that's going to, you know, Do what, really you know well. what bothers me about the Lion King one? They're like, it's live action. It's like, no, it's all CGI. Yeah, right. You're not, <laughs> not giving direction lions. to lions. <laughs> 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 well, what we did was we put peanut butter under their lip and then just moved their mouth around and we figured we'd just drop dialogue in behind it. <laughs> <laughs> You've heard about, um, I know Rogan's talked about it, but like that one movie with like, there's like the most, there's like one of the deadliest movies ever. 
that they tried filming with like lion, real lot like family that owned all these <laughs> yes, lions or whatever. I, I wish I remember what that was called, but yeah, there was all pe- people getting fucking mauled and shit like that. Yeah, something stupid. It was like they had like a lion sanctuary, and they were just trying to like film lions just like living throughout their house and shit, and people were getting attacked like left and right. Jeez, did it have something to do with like young Melanie Griffith? Because isn't that how she grew up? Yeah, I think some. I, I think that sounds familiar. Yeah, I don't know. I, I've listened to too many of his, his episodes. They run together. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. And he talks. He always overlaps with a lot of his topics. He always repeats himself a lot. Oh, have you ever seen the Joe Rogan uh, JRE bingo cards online? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you get the market once he mentions this. And yes. Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Like young Jamie pull that up as one of yep. them, and <laughs> DMT. <laughs> hunting all the sorts of shit (laughs) the he always talks he he seems to talk a lot about the um the fuck those the islands of those people that um that we don't communicate with because they kill us oh yeah where that where that one christian missionary went recently they filled him full of arrows like they should (laughs) and like there's just crashed boats and stuff left there because they were literally like they, if they crashed onto that island, they had to like call a mayday, and some of them were getting pulled out like literally as these arrows were being shot at them and stuff. Wow, <laughs> those are people who really don't like neighbors. <laughs> yeah, is it? I think it's like the Northeaster Island. No, that's not right. No, it's uh, it's got to be over. Is it in like the? It's own. It's it's like it's technically like a province or um. It's kind of over by China, like, right? Yeah, I think it's like it's kind of like what Puerto Rico is for us, but for India. Okay, so it like is that. something that's in the Indian Ocean. Yeah, it's like it's, but it's it's like technically India's government control, like owns that land or something. So they have all these different regulations about how we can't, like, there you can't take boats out there and things like that. That's wild, you know, and that's one of those things that that I was kind of tripping about earlier in the week. In that if you look at like the human experience in 2019, like across the board, it is so vastly different everywhere you go. Like all the way from uncontacted tribes in the Amazon and stuff like that, who are still living the way that humans presumably did a hundred thousand years ago, all the way up to like the height of technology, you know, in the modern world with glass skyscrapers and everything, voice command and shit like that. And Ah, oh, it's fucking wild, man. It's a it's a goddamn strange world that we've built. Yeah, it's what was it? It's the sent the sent sentinelese sentinelese. It's the North Sentinel Island Islanders. That's what we're. Uh, that's what I was trying to think of. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'm glad yeah, you brought real the, dad to the table. Then. The, the, they're the world's last uncontacted people. It's a the in the Bay of Bengal in India, so that's where it's at. There's like 200 people. That's so fucking wild. <laughs> it's, like, it's like an island of 200 people that we just don't ever. They've never had human contact. <laughs> it's like, it's like no, nah, they're real cons. Don't go there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, like any. It's well, like I remember they talked about it. Like basically, someone uh, way back when, like the 1800s, went there and tried and did like all these experiments and shit on them. And then that's why they hate humans. So anytime they've been... Or they hate outsiders. <laughs> yeah, they hate outsiders. Not humans, but outsiders. <laughs> and 
so like when that last guy that went there a handful of years back that was like a missionary trying to like preach the word of god to him he goes there and then just gets killed <laughs> like you do <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's so crazy <laughs> oh man but um oh what was it okay so we watched that document kind of moving backwards a little bit but when when uh, my wife and i finished watching that documentary we started talking about like do does your phone listen to you and shit like that and we she was telling me about how you know she was talking about something with the kids and then her phone had those ads and stuff on it and so we started looking into it have you ever looked that up like if your phone is actually listening to you Mm-mm. i've never looked up i obviously i know it ha- it is because there's, I swear there's been times where I've just like been talking with someone uh, about some product or something. And then next thing you know, I'm like scrolling through on Facebook or just somewhere and I'm starting to see ads for what we were talking about. And yeah. I know I haven't searched for it. Yeah, I uh, I read a, uh, I ended up finding like a Vice News article and it basically said, yeah, that's that's absolutely the case. And that it more or less all it's doing it is it's just saving like keywords and stuff like that. And it is for advertisement purposes. And, and the guy who wrote the article, like did an experiment where he talked about, uh, like he had like purposeful conversations just with himself in the room, like in with his phone sitting on the table saying, you know, I really need to go back and finish my degree. And then other things saying that he needs to find some cheap shirts for work. And then he said the results happened literally overnight where his phone was inundated with ads for going back to school and getting your degree and for here's where you can go to buy some cheap shirts. (laughs) (laughs) I think I've also had it where like if I've been watching TV and I see and like they keep showing like at the same ads over and over, those ads will start showing up on my phone, too, because they're probably like you're saying they're just hearing the keywords from the TV and then pulling it into my phone. Well, that, and I wonder how much data is just shared through your IP address. Like if you have all these different devices throughout your house that all go through your same wireless and all have the same IP address attached to it. Um, because like we have a, a fire stick attached to our TV. And so there's constantly like a little scroll of ads that'll come up along the bottom and they seem to be targeted and we're not like surfing and, you know, we're not doing internet searches really like through our TV but it's yeah. definitely using the same Wi-Fi as our phones that we do searches on. So I don't know. It just makes me wonder how nefarious this shit goes. Like, is it really just for advertising? Because I know data mining is like really big business. It's a, a huge commodity. Yeah, it's crazy how much those like companies that just take data and then sell them to another party, how much money they make from it. It's crazy how much advertisers, advertisers and companies are willing to pay for that data. Yeah. Yeah, I so mean, you gotta you gotta think it's 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 more than just them wanting to just throw ads on your devices. There's got to be some other second goal in mind that maybe we haven't seen as the public yet. Yeah, because uh, I don't know either that or just maybe a lot of people aren't the way I am to where it's like if you fucking interrupt me with shit and try and offer me stuff when I don't want it, I'll not use your service just to spite you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I could be really hungry. And if you just show up and knock on my door and try and offer me fucking food that I, that I'd have to buy, like a, a part of me will be like, fuck you. I'd rather drive to the store than, than, than make you think that you just did a good thing by coming up and, you know, making a, a, an unsolicited fucking 
knock on my door. It's like, fuck you, man. I like, I really need to improve the, the use other door <laughs> fucking sign on my front door. Like it needs to be like a whole printed out thing being like, I am not interested in your God. I am not interested in you cleaning my fucking siding. I don't require a vacuum. Like fucking praise Odin, <laughs> you know, like just all sorts of crazy shit. Just be like, seriously, don't knock on my door. <laughs> well, that's why like I, I'm annoyed. Like I always hate having um, like salespeople come up to me at stores. Like, no, if I need your help, I'm gonna come to you. Don't bug me. <laughs> like I'm, I know what I'm coming in here for, and if I don't know, I'll ask you. I don't need you to start questioning me on why I'm there. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and like the stores that you go into where you can tell that the, the different reps in the store, like make some sort of commission based on the sale. Yeah. They always try to like, they'll always try to push a certain product or company on you. Yeah. That's the worst. Well, 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 when you are ready, I'll be over here. My name's Justin. I'll be happy to help you. It's like, hey, fuck off, Justin. All right. I'm going to go to your other coworker just to spite you now for coming up to me. <laughs> <laughs> Did anybody help you today? Not Justin. <laughs> anybody listening to this is like, wow, Stark really is kind of a cunt. It's like, eh, it can't be. <laughs> I hate that shit too, man. Like, it's, I don't know, but part of me is just like, when I go to a store, I go in with a fucking plan. Like, yeah, I don't, I, just, I don't walk into a Best Buy like, hmm, I want to see if they can sell me a TV today. <laughs> exactly. like, I don't just go in there with that mindset. If I'm going into like an electronic store or any store in general, <laughs> unless it's Target. I mean, Target, they don't come up to you and bug you, though. They just let you fucking put everything in your cart that you don't need and then leave without the one thing you do need. <laughs> That's how Target gets me every time. <laughs> so that doesn't happen to me so much. I, I go in with an exact plan of what I want. I make a beeline to where it's at in the store. I pay for well, my I, shit. I, I usually do Target, but Target just ends up having so much other random shit that I just get sidetracked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for a while there, every single time I went into Target, it was like, no matter what I was getting, I'm also going to walk out of here with two to three booster packs of the newest Magic set. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, fuck. That was an extra $12 I didn't need to spend. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, me and Lindsay fell down a fucking rabbit hole with that. Did you? Yeah, we're we're not playing it as much as we had been, but man, there were there were weekend days where we would fucking play it for like eight or nine hours straight. Damn, be fucking crazy. You know, it would take little breaks, but uh, <laughs> for the most part, it was like yeah, we were playing lots of games in a row. Um, yeah, tomorrow I'm actually driving to Peoria. I'm gonna go play in a like a, a small draft tournament. With my buddy Jake, so that'll be fun. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. I uh, still, I mean, I've still been um, getting like my Ninja Turtle NECA stuff that uh, I've been collecting. And of course, this year they had like another San Diego Comic Con exclusive that they were doing through their website. And it was so fucking stupid. Like, it was impossible. Like, the three, the, the way they did it is they had like pre release ones that were going on their store, and then the rest you only could get at the con. And so each day they had like a limited amount of every one of their exclusives that they would put on the site at starting at this time you could get it. And the stuff would literally sell out within like two, three minutes max. Um, But every single day, most people were having an issue with like the, I, I would go to add it in my cart and then I hit the checkout button and it would not, nothing would happen. So a lot of people were having that issue. And then, 
Um, they did another last like call presale of the same stuff yesterday because what they do is like they have like rules on like a limit of two can go to a house. Um, and then like, so basically after they look through all the orders and like the scam, the scammers or the bots and stuff like that, then they cancel those orders and whatever stock they have left, they put back up there and they literally had like six of these teenage mutant Ninja turtle sets for this year. It was like a, a four pack of, um, like splinter shredder and a couple of the foot clan members. And the way they had it this year, there's, they had like the individual, packs of their different exclusives and then they also had a bundle of everything together that was the most expensive so the only stuff the only thing that was still available for like an extra minute was the four hundred dollar bundle of everything compared to the hundred dollar or 125 i think it was for just the ninja turtle set so it's like most of the people had no chance to get the ninja turtle set and if you really wanted it that bad you'd have to buy the four hundred dollar bundle with Ouch. everything else. So I was like, fuck that. I was like, I'll just wait like a year or something like that or two and see if I can get it for like a reasonable price on eBay from someone. Yeah. Cause like right now with it, right now it's obviously going to be going like three times the price of what it costs, but I could, I could see it just being like a little bit over re- like retail, hopefully in a couple of years. Yeah. You just gotta wait for that demand to die down. Yeah. It's just stupid how like it was worthless. Like I literally, by the time I was refreshing the website on my phone, um, right at the time when it started and the, the items became available to even click on, I hit it, clicked on it, and it already said sold out, like within five seconds. I was like, how the fuck is that possible? I was like, this is so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> it is stupid. The thing that there's... The- this is so frustrating it's like what's the point (laughs) well yeah and also it's like how many of that shit is just bots or stuff that's set up on automated just so they can try and buy a volume of them and then turn around and resell it at a profit well yeah because there's like a lot of people like and i was reading like the comments on the facebook post from NECA, like when stuff was going live and all these people were saying how is it possible that there's these ebay sellers that have eight of them when you said there's a max that two could someone have and stuff like that so it's like that's stupid. Like more people were frustrated with the fact that somehow these people were still able to get all all these that they said that you only could have two of. So it's like, well, why don't you guys? They're basically saying like, why don't you guys do something about the people that somehow are selling ten of them on eBay right now? Hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a sketchy. It's it's <laughs> that's, one of those yeah, things it's like sketchy. That, you fucking hit the, it, man. It's that re, it's that resellers world that's so annoying. Like it's the same thing with like. Like I like I wanted to get, I've started to kind of like get in the shoes a little bit, just kind of like have a few more pairs and some of them like like obviously like Michael Jordan shoes and stuff like that and all the new shoes that come out, how quickly like resellers will just buy up all the stock at a store like they'll that's like their full time job is they just wait out at shoe stores before the drop of a new shoe and they'll buy as many of them as they're allowed to buy and then just go and resell them. And it's like, like a normal weird. person that just wants a normal person that just wants to get a pair of shoes that normally costs like 150 bucks, maybe ends up going to be like four or five thousand, depending on what shoe it is. Sometimes it's so stupid. That's so weird. What's your take on Yeezys? I, I think they're ugly shoes. <laughs> I would never thank, pair. thank you. They like, are ugly. They're like an ugly ass moon boot with Velcro looking piece of shit. <laughs> Yeah, I I think they're ugly. I've never and I've never been someone that wants to just like buy a shoe to resell it because I feel like the hassle of trying to resell it. And if it's not something that was going to be like my full time job, I don't really feel the purpose of doing it unless I knew I had a buyer already set up and they said they would pay whatever for it. Then I would 
do it that way. Like I would get a pair for myself if I was if it was a shoe I liked. But I mean, for me, I'm more of a, uh, like I like Air Maxes, um, like Air Max nineties. But yeah, the Yeezys are so fucking ugly to me, and a lot of shoes get like super hyped up because it's um someone's new shoe that's coming out like a LeBron James or something. So people are just buying them because of the name. And so they become super expensive right away. But then it's all just like a hype type thing more, more or less. Like there's only a handful of shoes probably that actually hold their value. And a lot of the times it's some of the Jordans that hold their value. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've never been anything close to a sneakerhead or anything like that. Like I, I buy shoes purely, you know purely for the utility of just wearing a shoe (laughs) like right now i have like a nice pair of like office shoes that i wear to work and then i've got my other shoes that are um i think they're just what the fuck i I can't even think of what brand they are i think they're asics and uh they're just like the gel heel ones because i put on enough weight to where now like my plantar fasciitis is starting to creep back and, Ooh. and so I was like, well, fuck if I'm going to, and I bought them right before C2E2 cause I knew I'd be walking a lot on concrete all day. And so the, the shoes I got are still fairly new and, and I keep reminding myself, like, especially every time I see someone go running past my house, I'm like, fuck, I need to start running again. I mean, I got the shoes that I could do it. I just need to make myself go out there and do it. It's like, I've just been in this like perpetual mode of I know I need to go out and do the exercising but I'm just like incapable of making myself do it like I I did not count on how like mentally and emotionally exhausted I would be getting off work with the new job I have (laughs) like and I've been doing it for like a year and a half now and it's like I'm starting to kind of get the the swing of it to where I'm not super stressed out like I was in the beginning but it's still enough stress and stuff to where I get off work. I'm like, I don't want to fucking do shit. And and I know I'd probably feel better all around, you know, physically, mentally, spiritually, if I were to go out and, and start running and and get that level of sweating and and stuff going on a daily basis. Like I had in the past. Yeah. It's, it's, it's tricky because it's like, you got to get getting into that routine again. And, I'm I, that's why I always try to make myself go like right after work. I don't go home first. I always pack my gym bag before just cause like I know once I get home after work and the gym, like I'm usually just exhausted and worn out. So it's like, I don't really want to do a whole lot. I just kind of want to kind of recharge my batteries and just kind of decompress. Um, and I know like on like when I take rest days here and there, they're nice, but it's always like, I feel like I need to be doing something even when I just come straight home from work. Um, so it's, yeah, it's one of those things where once you get into that routine, it's nice again, but man, sometimes it can be really hard, especially when you're in a new position at work and it's been causing a lot of stress. But I mean, they, they do say like exercise is a great stress reliever and can really help a lot. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's potentially the best antidepressant there is. Yeah. You know, re- releasing those natural endorphins in your body and stuff like that. Uh, but it's it's just not good. <laughs> it's like so many things that would be improved in my life if I would just fucking make myself do it. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's that's my thing, man. I just I, there's so many of those activities that I miss, and um, man, just uh, probably about thirty minutes away from my house, they just built a like an artificial boulder field 
where it's like all these different like fake rock formations, but it's styled to kind of look like Southwest limestone or um, sandstone, I think. And it's like just all these little bouldering problems where uh, bouldering is like a, a discipline in climbing where you're just doing like less than 10 moves, but they're all pretty difficult and you don't really get that high off the ground. You just take like a, like a, what's called a bouldering pad, which is basically just like a four inch thick foam pad that like folds in half. So then you can wear it like a backpack. And then when it unfolds out, it's like three foot by four foot or something like that. And if you get a few friends together and you all have pads, then you can pad up a pretty big area and you have spotters next to you. So if you do slip off, they kind of, you know, they got your back so that you don't land on your head. <laughs> that yeah. sort of shit. <laughs> and uh, man, it looks fun as fuck, but it's like, dude, I am just, uh, it's bad. Like I, I've, I've lost all my fucking finger strength. All my calluses from when I climbed years ago are totally gone. And it's like, man, it's like climbing is one of those things that I still think about a lot, but it's like physically I am just no longer there. Yeah. And, um, oh fuck. I actually bought a new harness not that long ago and, and I'll, I'll have to lose weight before I can even wear the fucking thing. <laughs> like it showed up and it's like, it's an extra large and it doesn't fit well enough to wear safely. And I'm like, son of a bitch, <laughs> I spent a hundred dollars on this. <laughs> and so it's like, I have like, uh, different clothing items and now a fucking climbing harness and shit where it's like, all right, you lose the weight. Here's your reward. <laughs> <laughs> Climbing, that's just so impressive to me, like how how good some some people are with it. Especially like I know you know who like, was it Alex Honnold. Yeah. Yeah, and him that whole free solo and everything. That stuff was nuts. And just like seeing climbers in general that are just so good at what they do and they make it look so easy and how strong you have to have with grip strength and just everything to stay focused like that. Have you watched uh The Dawn Wall on Netflix? Um, I don't believe so, not yet. That's a good one to saw, check out. I know there was one documentary um, that you had that you told me about that I watched a while back, um, and then I f- obviously saw the free solo documentary that came out. Early, was it earlier this year? Yeah, yeah, um, and that was really interesting. I mean, I had already known because in the other documentary they talked about Alex Honnold and him free soloing stuff in the other one, so I knew of him. And then then watching this one was just. So you probably did see the Dawnwall though. The Dawnwall is the one where they were on Yosemite for like, uh, like eighteen days in a row before they got to the top. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They talk about the whole because that's the that's the one he free solos, right? See, he's not free soloing; he's free climbing it. Or so, he's doing El he's doing El Capitan. Right? Yes, he's he's doing the okay. Dawnwall. So basically, like El Cap is like kind of split in half by this feature called the nose which is basically just this like kind of big buttress in the wall that sticks out a little bit further, and then. There's more wall to the left of that and more wall to the right. Well, the wall to the right of the nose is called the Dawn Wall because as the sun rises over the rim of Yosemite Valley, that section of the wall is the first one that gets light. And it's also the most featureless section of the wall, meaning that there's really not lots of ledges and and really clear crack systems and stuff that run up it. And so Tommy Caldwell was the first one who kind of pieced together that maze on how to start at the bottom and free climb all the way to the top, doing it just a pitch at a time. And and so in, in free climbing, it's like you're using a rope, but the rope's just there to catch you when you fall. And if you do fall and the rope catches you, then that just means that in order to do the route free, you just need to go back to the beginning of that pitch, basically where you started from and redo it again. And so in the Dawn Wall, it shows um, Tommy Caldwell and Kevin Jorgensen just kind of like swapping leads going up this 
this this wall and they're trying to do every pitch free and and they get stuck in this one section where they're doing this big long traverse where they're having to climb sideways and Tommy eventually gets through it and then it takes Kevin like another fucking week like week or like nine days or something like that to be able to pull it off and he eventually catches up with Tommy's high point because Tommy just waited for him and uh it's a fucking incredible documentary and it shows all this backstory because Tommy Caldwell's got an amazing story in itself like um he had been on that one climbing trip in um oh what was it one of the stand countries over there and uh basically they <laughs> they got they got uh abducted by fucking uh like a terrorist group and they were held captive for like a week and and then it got to the point where there was just one of the kidnappers left with like the group of four or five people that they had kidnapped that were all climbers. And he was like leading them up this fucking cliff. And Tommy basically turned around and fucking pushed the guy off a cliff. And that's how they escaped it was Tommy Jeez. had to fucking, well, and, and it turns out that the guy didn't die from it, but in Tommy's mind, like he just fucking killed somebody, you know? And this was just some like kid who was like a climbing prodigy from when he was a child and so, like, it completely broke him for a while, and then the kind of the the relationship and marriage that came out of that, and then that eventually dissolving, and then in his grief, like, he decides to he's going to throw himself at this project of figuring out how to climb the Dawn Wall, and then years later, like, he him and then Kevin Jorgensen, who joined him along the way, finally fucking pull it off, and it's like one of the biggest feats in climbing. But here's the fucking crazy part: is that. I think it was within a year. Uh, right now, the the strongest climber in the world is this kid from the Czech Republic named Adam Andra. And Adam Andra came back with almost no trad climbing experience and fucking repeated the Dawn Wall in like a week. <laughs> but like he had the whole he had the whole topo. Like he knew where all to go. And like because he had talked with Tommy and Tommy told him basically how to climb the route. Because a, a big part of doing a first descent is conquering the 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 unknown of being like does this thing even go does it even work whereas if you're a second person to come in and do an ascent you're like oh yeah so and so already did this i know it's possible kind of like like what was that time for like a a mile run to where people were like oh that's never gonna happen and eventually Uh, one person a four minute mile yeah eventually one person broke it and then a whole bunch of other people did because that initial doubt was then erased yeah, because at first no one thought that it was actually possible for someone <laughs> to run it. And then once someone did, then enough of those people that probably have got, had gotten close before were like, okay, it is possible. I just got to do something else slightly different or whatever it might be. Exactly. Yeah. So, I don't know. The Dawn Wall is an amazing documentary. And, and I highly recommend everybody checking that out. It's it's very different from Free Solo because the stakes in Free Solo are are the the stakes in the movie free solo is really what makes that such a popular documentary this this compelling story of if he makes a single mistake he's going to fall and he's going to die and and the dawn wall's not that <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think i think the one i saw it it, it was more focused i want to say on um el cap because they talked about i think more about the history of like people originally climbing in it took them like a month or something like that did you watch you watched valley uprising then yeah, that's the one I watched. Okay, okay, yeah. Valley Uprising is really good too because it shows like like the the real history of it. The first people that went up and just aid climbed it from bottom to top, 
They're using like fucking hemp ropes tied around their waist. Uh, And then it tells that fantastic story about that fucking plane that crashed in upper or lower Merced Lake. Yes, with all the weed that got frozen in the ice. And all all these fucking (laughs) climbers were just backpacking out there and pulling out like fucking bales of marijuana and then going and selling it in San Francisco and shit. And that was like the basis. That story was the basis for the movie Cliffhanger. Oh, it was? Yes, it was. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I mean, I, I still love Cliffhanger. <laughs> oh, God. Jesus, Cliffhanger is so fucking funny to me. What's funny is um, I had I saw Ace Ventura, uh, Pet Detector, the when second nature one. Calls. When Nature Calls. I saw that before I saw Cliffhanger. So that opening scene with the raccoon, I had no idea it was like a – a parody of cliffhanger. So then when I saw cliffhanger, I started laughing because I was like, Oh, they're making fun of this. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That stunt woman that did that stunt where she drops, she had to do that five or six times for the film. And she was paid enough that she went out and bought like a brand new truck and paid cash. Damn. What did you just drop her into like a net or something? No, it was just a controlled fall where there was like a static rope or not a static rope, but a dynamic rope that she would have been attached to. Okay. So there, there's two different types of rope. Essentially, there's a static rope, which really doesn't have that much stretch to it. And then there's a dynamic rope to where it, it elongates up to like 30% or so. And so it's kind of like a bungee cord almost. Y- yeah, not quite. But but yes, it's got a little it bit a little, of a stretch it has a little to it. give to it. It's not going to like snap you at the end of it. Exactly. To where if you were to do even like a 12 inch fall and fall in completely static gear, like it could rupture internal organs. Because oh. yeah. yeah, just the, it's almost like whiplash. It's just like whiplash, basically, for your it's, whole body. It's terrible. Like like I've read stories in climbing door. If somebody's like standing on a ledge and they're just using like a nylon runner, which is basically just like a loop of like nylon, and they just have that attached to like a carabiner, and they have that clipped into the anchor, and the other ends say like just like girth hitched to like their belay loop on their harness or something. And there's a little bit of slack in the system, and they fall. Like they can fuck themselves up, internal organs. They can break steel gear. Like just the forces involved are fucking insane. And so that's why like a dynamic rope that has a little bit of stretch to it, because that's going to absorb a lot of that force. Yeah. But a dynamic rope can only take so many falls before it needs to rest. And then it'll slowly kind of shrink back to its original length. Okay. And so like if you're, if you're working like a really hard project in climbing and you're taking lots of lead falls over and over again, um, you're going to notice that the falls are going to start feeling more and more painful. Yeah, because you've just taken all the strap shot of that. And so basically then you just like flip your rope around, you tie into the other end of it. And so you spend like the first half of your your day climbing (laughs) on one end of your rope and then the next on the other. But but what will happen eventually is if you don't do that, um, your rope will get what's called core shot because all the strength in a climbing rope comes from the strands inside. It's the core. And then the outside, the like the colorful thing that, you know, because usually you see people climbing, it's a colorful looking rope. Yep. Well, that colorful sheath on the outside is just to protect the core. And so what'll happen is after that dynamic is gone, you know, you, it takes about four feet, four to five feet of rope to do your tie in knot. And then you figure if you're falling a lot that about six, four to six feet out from your knot is where the rope's going to be, you know, taking that big drastic bend over the carabiner that's catching your fall over and over again. And yeah. so that one little short spot of the rope is where it's losing the most of its dynamic stretch. And so eventually it's going to break right through that sheath and it's going to show you the, the white inner core of the rope. And so that's called your rope getting core shot. And so then you have to trim out that last 10 feet of your rope 
And then all of a okay. sudden you're, if you're climbing with a 60 meter rope, you now have a rope that's like, you know, it went from 200 feet to 190 feet. And so yeah. you got to keep that fresh in your mind because, uh, if you trim your rope down too much and you climb on a really big route, you might be getting lowered to the ground to where you've climbed all the way up to the top of this route. And then your belayer down on the ground is just letting rope slide through. And so they're lowering you to the ground. And then all of a sudden the rope goes through the end of the fucking, or the end of the rope goes through the belay device and climbers then get dropped. And so they might be like still 20 feet off the deck and the belayer is just watching their climber lowering them. And all of a sudden the rope slips through their brake hand and goes right through the belay device and the climber decks. Like it happens a lot. (laughs) <laughs> no thanks i'll stick to the ground i've heard multiple stories about it but like that's so what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to either be aware of the fact of how tall the route is in relation to how long your rope is or you tie a good thick knot in, in uh, you tie a stop or not in the end of your rope but okay not everybody does that shit <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah, anyway I, i'm good staying on there on the on the ground I, I don't need to climb <laughs> yeah so anyway that that's that's my i don't know why i went on such a long tangent about climbing ropes i'm sorry about that <laughs> <laughs> this is one of those subjects i know too much about um yeah <laughs> but uh, the the other cool thing uh in, when it comes to the stunt people from cliffhanger was sylvester stallone's cl- um stunt double was a guy named wolfgang gullick and uh i think it's g-u-l-l-i-c-h and at the time he was like the strong, he was like the Adam Andra of his era, which is pretty cool. Cause like at that time, Cl- uh, cliffhanger stunt, uh, Sylvester Stallone's stunt double was the strongest climber in the world. So that is kind of cool that in, in the climbing cool. scenes in that you, it's, it's Wolfgang doing the climbing. And, um, he was the first guy to climb the grade. Oh fuck. I think it was 14 D and it was a route in Germany called action direct. And if you look at, look up pictures of action, Wolfgang Gullick on action direct, it shows him on this limestone roof. So it's like the route goes up and then the wall curves back and gets so steep that it's actually like a bit of a roof and then straightens out and climbs up a little bit more. Well, it's just pocketed limestone climbing. And so literally in that roof section, it's just mono pockets. So you can just hang from one finger and you have to like completely campus through a meaning your feet aren't even on the wall. And so there's these really classic pictures of Wolfgang Gullick just hanging by fucking two fingers completely under this roof, like just trying to pull through it. It's goddamn amazing. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at pictures of him right now climbing shit. Yeah, and isn't that cool? a lot of the time a lot of the times yeah, it looks like he just is using two fingers in each of the each of his holds. That's insane. <laughs> That's fucking insane. I think he eventually died in a car wreck. I think he was driving somewhere in the mountains and there was like a rock fall and it like hit his car and that's how he died. So that fucking that's tragic. Kind of, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Cause I mean, how much more climbing would that guy have fucking done if, if, if he wouldn't have died that way, but did he, did he ever do any free soloing or did he always do something with a rope? I'm sure a lot of those high level, lots of climbers do free soloing, but it's like, let's say, um, they they free solo something that's so easy for them that it's not like a, a difficult route that anyone thinks of. But then the reason Donald's was Honolds was so impressive is because it isn't a super easy mount. Um, exactly. Al Capitan was too. It wasn't very easy to climb to begin with, and to ever no one ever even thought that free soloing it was something that 
anyone would ever want to do. <laughs> you, you hit the nail on the head. That is exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's lots of climbers that go out and free solo stuff that's super fucking easy. Um, there's this awesome video you can find online of a climber named Dan Osman, and he is speed climbing this route that's like, I think it's like 700 feet or something like that. And he literally like hits like a stopwatch like on his on his wrist and then runs at the wall runs up this fucking thing even like doing like full all points of contact off jumping up to the next hole double dinos and like racing to the top and then he gets to the top and like hits the stop button um i think that's uh o-s-m-u-n-d and that is one of the wildest fucking videos <laughs> like that guy was a fucking wild man and um that motherfucker eventually eventually ended up dying because he had a rope swing rig in Yosemite where it was not not a rope swing, but it was like a controlled fall thing where it'd be similar to like what that stunt woman in Cliffhanger did, only except for it being like during like a, a big rope traverse where she's just falling into open space. This guy was actually running and jumping off the edge of a cliff. Similar to being on a bungee cord, but when you get to the end of it, it would basically turn into a big um, pendulum swing, right? Okay. And so he had left this thing up over winter in Yosemite and then went back the next year and jumped on it again after it had been all weathered and the rope broke and he fell. So that's that's always, yeah, that's always like blows my mind that something like that climbers do. Like, how do you think that? the rope integrity is still going to be where it was when you leave it out in like that type of those type of weather conditions all winter or however many seasons it was over without like testing it somehow in a more controlled, safer environment than just, Oh, I'm just going to jump off the jump off the edge of this cliff real quick with it attached and see what happens. Yeah. It's just human complacency. It's um... yeah. They're just so, they're just so used to nothing ever going wrong and they've done it so many times that they just don't think anything of it. Yeah, when when climbing gear is brand new and it's set up correctly, it can it's it's not even going to notice that you're you're on the system because the the weights and the the force limits that um you know are at the max level of what the equipment can take is so much bigger than what a person would like realistically generate. But after something that's been exposed to to ultraviolet light and it's been degraded and it, if it's left on the rock and stuff, there's lots of little critters that live in the rock that like to chew on soft goods like that. So it's yeah, it was just human complacency and and like he's far from the first professional climber that has died because yeah. of that. There was um uh there's a really cool documentary called Wind and Rattlesnakes. It used to be on um uh, I think it used to be on Vimeo and uh, it's about um, oh, fucking blanking on the guy's name. Now he was a real famous climber and um, he died basically because he should have bought a new harness. He, he Yeah. I remember doesn't Honold talks about that guy, doesn't he? Yeah, I think so. The um, dude had like the harness for like 20 years or something stupid like that. <laughs> and just never, never replaced it. It was basically on its last leg and just broke. Yeah, and um, there's a guy in the Wind and Rattlesnakes um, uh, in the documentary that was one of this guy's climbing partners. I can't believe his name's not fucking popping in my head. I'm looking it up right now to try and figure it out. Um, but basically, he tells a story about when they were younger, and he was looking at the the harness that his, his buddy was using, and he was like, what the fuck is that? And so he went and told the guy's dad, you know, hey, so-and-so's birthday's coming up. He needs a new harness. 
And so his dad bought him a new harness. But where basically his dad was like, hey, let me see this harness you're using. And his dad then pulled out a knife and started cutting it into pieces and then gave yeah, him 50 yeah, bucks. Like, didn't, want, didn't want him to use it anymore. Yeah, he gave him 50 bucks and was like, okay, you need to go buy a new harness now. Here's, here's 50 bucks for your birthday. And he said that basically somebody just needed to do that again. And it's like, oh, fuck, that is... God, what's crazy is I can think of all these different routes that this guy did, but I cannot fucking think about it. It doesn't, I mean, what, I mean, to get complacent with it too, isn't that more or less because like you get so comfortable with the equipment and getting it like, don't, I'm imagining you have to break in harnesses and stuff, right? You don't really have to break them in at all. You don't? Okay. I wasn't Mm -hmm. sure if it's, that was kind of part of it. Cause obviously like the price of them aren't like wasn't so expensive that like that was his reason why he never got a new one. Cause you could just never afford one. It wasn't something like that. It was just, he got so used to it and never had an issue with it. Well, and the thing about like with professional climbers is like Alex Honnold makes a shitload of money being a pro climber, but it's also just because his name is known to people outside the climbing community. Whereas a lot of sponsored climbers and stuff like that, they're, they're getting paid in like, they get really good deals on like shoes and equipment and stuff like that. And so it's like for somebody to think, Oh yeah, he he just couldn't afford a new harness. It's like, no, you can afford a fucking $30 harness. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's not like it was one of those things where this, the harnesses are like thousands of dollars. And this is a guy that just lives out in his van, doesn't have a job and just climbs. So it'd have been hard for him to get that money. So it makes, yeah, it's just one of those things where it's like, damn, if only he would have just spent the 50. Okay, it was Todd Skinner. It fucking came to me as if in a vision. (laughs) (laughs) That would have bothered me for a long fucking time. Makes for riveting podcasting, but fuck it, it's free. (laughs) You would have texted me like four days later at three in the morning. It was Todd Skinner. And you'd have been like, who the fuck is Todd Skinner? (laughs) Dude, there's there's a cliff line in Wyoming called the Wild Iris. And, and it was him and his friends that developed that place originally. And that was, uh, it's all limestone stuff. And what's, what's funny is when I look at videos of wild iris and see like the type of stone and stuff they're climbing on that they were all going fucking nuts for like in the, in the early nineties, it's almost identical to the limestone we have here in Iowa, which is fucking hilarious. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, Cause most people are like so dismissive of Iowa as a place that's climbing. It's like, eh, we got fucking uber sick limestone, yo. <laughs> <laughs> it's uber sick. It's uber sick. And you sick, gnarly proj. <laughs> uh, yeah, I miss doing it though. I need to get back out there. See, I'm just doing it again, Rod. I'm just fucking paying lip service to the fact that I need to be in better shape. <laughs> just end up going out there one day. One day when it's nice to say, fuck it, go out there, and then you'll you'll pay for it the next few days. You'll be sore, but you'll, you won't regret doing it. Dude, this, I don't know. At this point, it's like the harness I have that fits, I bought in 2009. Do I want to wear that in 2019? <laughs> <laughs> Because as we've covered, the last, the new one that I have doesn't fit me. (laughs) (laughs) Just start free soloing stuff. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Also, climbing in Iowa in the summertime sucks balls. Like, yeah, I imagine there's like a lot of people out there, aren't there? Well, here's the thing is that I don't need to go to a public place to go rock climbing. Uh, Yeah. Um, I've got, I have, I know landowners where I can just go and I can climb on private property and not see anybody. 
but but the thing that sucks about it climbing in in Iowa in the summer is that there's lots of humidity, there's lots of bugs, and there's like fucking poison ivy and stinging nettles everywhere. Ooh. Like it's it's just not the most pleasant time to be hanging out in the woods. Like perf- I prefer fall. I think fall's the best time of year for climbing. And uh, if if it's the right conditions, winter is great too. But it like that's very condition dependent. Like it has to be a, a clear blue sky day, lots of sun, very little wind, and you need to be on a wall that's facing south. If you have all those <laughs> conditions right, you're gonna have a fucking awesome day climbing in the middle of January. But if you're on north facing wall and it's windy, you're like welcome to Mount Everest conditions of cold. <laughs> You'll feel like you're in cliffhanger. <laughs> it's just so you, you get what's called the screaming barfies where it's like your hands are so fucking cold that they hurt. And like, you can see your hand grabbing like features on the wall or your fingers going into a pocket, but you can't feel anything in there. Cause your fingers are so cold. You literally have lost your sense of feeling. That does not sound fun. No, no. And then like you, like, and then with me, it's like, if I'm not feeling my hands and then all of a sudden I'm up above my last piece of pro and I'm pulling up my rope to clip it into the next thing. And where it's like, that's when you're going to take big falls and lead climbing is if you fall while you're trying to make a clip, you're going to fall like an extra 10 feet plus rope stretch. Yeah. And, and that's not fun. And so now it's like, I don't feel my fingers. I'm really cold. They hurt. And I'm fucking terrified. <laughs> like yeah, cl- Rock climbing is not one of the times where I feel like I'd want to lose the feeling of touch with my hands no well and then in the in the summertime then it's like you can feel everything but your hands are so fucking sweaty because the rock is like fucking seemingly greasy feeling because of the humidity levels and shit that's like you're literally slipping slowly off the hold while you're trying to make this clip and so it's like fuck that yeah like nobody climbs really hard stuff it's it's really hard to climb difficult routes with like really small holds they're difficult to climb in the summertime like like yeah, on the cutting edge of the sport, all of those hard routes are done in the winter time. When that's okay. why, like, if you watch the Dawn Wall, when they're climbing this incredibly difficult section of of uh, El Cap, they're doing it in like closer to the the fall winter season because they need to have all of that moisture out of the air just to be able to stick to the small holds. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah, on the upper end of climbing, there's you just need to be okay with suffering, and that's something that I've I've never, I've never I never enjoyed that part of the sport. Like it, it's hard for me to be stoked to go out and go in the woods and be scared, and and do things that are incredibly difficult, and you're gonna fail at over and over again. It's like mm, I, I'd, <laughs> I'd rather go climb really easy stuff. And, and be like, have someone be like, did you have to try hard at all to do that? And I'm like, no, it was fantastic. Just <laughs> <laughs> take the easy route on it. <laughs> well, yeah, pretty much. It's like, I, I'd rather climb like a, a beginner level route that was like 50 or 60 foot tall. I'd rather climb that 10 times in a row than climb something super fucking difficult that I'm going to fail over and over and over again and get really frustrated with myself. And then like, fucking throw a fit when I fucking fall for the, like the 10th time in the same spot. Like it, it's almost like playing a video game, you know, like you yep. lose in the same spot over and over again. You're losing your fucking mind. Well, imagine doing that, but instead of just sitting on your ass with like using your thumbs, you're using your whole fucking body. Yeah. And, and yeah, maybe you're scared I, I, during parts of it too. You know, 
I've, I vividly remember a couple times breaking controllers and with video games kids get so frustrated. <laughs> like I remember this one time I was playing. It was so stupid. It was like a. Did you ever play Gran Turismo? It was like a racing game. Hmm. I don't think so. It sounds familiar though. Yeah, they've they've had like four or five of them come out throughout the years. It's basically like track racing with like um, uh, not Formula One cars, but just like um, super fast like supercars, pretty much. But a couple of the and one of the games to like build up to those levels of getting these nicer cars, you have to do these tasks on the track with shitty cars. And one of them was like you had to go around the track in a certain time on it with a minivan, and you basically have to have like. A, <laughs> basically have to have like a perfect lap to get there in time and i remember i failed at it plenty of times like not like sometimes i was close like within a couple seconds and other times i wasn't that close but like i'd, I'd finally got into a groove of figuring out what i had to do and i'd hit like a fucking perfect lap to get it and i was like half of a tenth of a second off of getting the time that I needed. And I just got so mad, just fucking out of instinct urge, just like out of reflex, I grabbed the remote and just chucked it against the wall and it just split into three. Oh no. <laughs> I was so busy. It was like the the like the kind of like the motherboard chip that's like within the remote flew its own way and then like the two casings of it flew away with the pad on it. So I was like, God damn it. So I didn't have a remote to my TV for a while. <laughs> See, I would I would get super frustrated playing video games, but I never got to the point where I broke any of my shit because then I knew I would only be mad at myself. Yeah. So I was always able to keep that much fucking <laughs> that level of control anyway, you know. Oh, when I was when I was like when I was young like that time I'd get so pissed at stuff like that, but as I got older I was like, yeah, I'm not breaking controllers cuz they're like 50, 60 bucks, fuck that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just be like, this is stupid, and then just stop playing it. <laughs> if it gets that difficult, like I don't, I enjoy playing games that are challenging. But if a game's so difficult that it's impossible to beat, like it's not even fun. Yeah. Hey, did you see that Vertigo closed shop? Yeah, I saw that they were DC was shutting them down because of their whole. Are they going to be rebranding stuff? I don't know. It was stupid. The article I read, they said it was because they feel like they've been having problems with creator owned stuff. Like they, they're tired of taking heat for like fucking risque content and shit like that. And they feel like they aren't able to compete with the sorts of deals that other independent publishers like, uh, image or like aftershock and stuff like that can offer creators for creator owned content. And it's like, still, it's like, you guys are still going to be doing that sort of stuff. And now if you're just moving into like under your DC black label or something like that, it's like, why would you get rid of the imprint that had so many iconic comic books? I mean, you're talking like fucking preacher and swamp thing and, um, Oh man, the uh, Sandman, like so many fucking awesome, like how many awesome vertigo books do we have? Clean room. Is, yeah, there's been a lot, and there's been like a lot of ones that you, I didn't even like. I didn't realize were Vertigo until like after I paid more attention to like the cover or something like that. I was like, oh, this isn't like I didn't realize I was from this company. And that's there's yeah, there's been a lot of really good stories that have come through Vertigo. So I don't, I'm surprised that they're doing that. That's fucking crazy, dude. I mean, wasn't that um, wasn't the last Joshua Williamson thing? Uh, was that uh, Death, oh yeah, Deathbed? Yeah, yeah. Wasn't that a Vertigo Deathbed, book? Yeah, that was that was a Vertigo book. Was Frostbite a Vertigo book? Yes, Frostbite was, um, was, what was the, 
a men of men of wrath. No, that was Jason that was Icon, Aaron. wasn't it? Icon, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was Icon. So that was like the, the Marvel version. Of that's that, yeah, that's much. the Mar- Marvel's Vertigo is Icon because that's where they've had. Um, isn't that where Nemesis came on? I think you're right. With Mark Millar, stuff like that. Yeah, like those are those are great to read. Like I feel like there's been way more that's come from Vertigo than there's come from Icon. At least from I mean I may I've only read a few things from Icon. I've read more of those type of stories under Vertigo. But I've also just I also just read a lot of image, which is basically those type of stories. But I just have more trust in image than I do in the imprints of Marvel and DC. Yeah, <laughs> I think with as many with, with as many image books as we've now covered on number one comic books, like I'm no longer like totally marching to the tune of anything that comes out by image is going to be good because I think we've read enough image books now. <laughs> number yeah, ones they, that were like, what the fuck was this? <laughs> Yeah, they were. They, I think that's. I mean, I think the reason we always thought that before. I mean, Image still does put out a ton of great number ones. It, it, absolutely. But, it, but it's like I think when we were first getting into just the like getting with an image is we were sticking to kind of the same type of stories constantly, and those stories as new number ones they kept telling were really good. But then when we started doing number one comic books, we started picking comics that we never would have really read just because we needed either there weren't a whole lot of selections to choose from from number ones or we just wanted to try something that we had not really thought about trying from image and yeah some of the stuff from image is really fucking out there and crazy and not a, to me a very good number one but they still have so many that are really good and they're all different types yeah oh my god that podcast is so much fun to do with you guys <laughs> have, have they have this sacred creatures is over right I don't know. In, in like, fact, I thought, like, I'm like, so... I thought like I remember they had like the first six issues, and they were all almost like double issues, weren't they? Yeah, they were all big issues. Yeah, they were all big issues, and then like they kind of they went they took a hiatus for a while, and then I want to say they came back with like another couple, and then all of a sudden I don't think I've ever gotten another one from them. See, I think there's six total, but I like I'm so far behind. Like I need to go to my uh, my local comic shop. And pick up my pull list, because I don't think I've picked up my pull list since, like, Captain Marvel came out in the theaters. Oh, damn. Yeah. yeah so, I mean, part of it is, it's like, fuck, I need to wait until I don't have another expense, because this is going to be a pricey visit to the comic shop. Yeah, when I picked them, up. They're probably like, when the fuck is Stark going to pick up this right. fucking, We're about to put on the shelf. This phone book fucking thickness pile of fucking comics. That's how mine was. I hadn't picked up mine in a while, and I just recently picked it up, and it was like, I had... I don't I think I had like the two or three issues. I think I had about like two or three issues of certain comics. So I mean that'd have been almost like two months, two to three months of not picking them up. And yeah, I think I had like three or four issues like the Batman Who Laughs, like things like that. And it's like damn. Like they have so much stuff coming out and I'm so far behind on some of it. Especially like Redneck. I love Redneck, but I'm just haven't been reading it. Same with Birthright and Paper Girls. I need to be reading those. Yeah, especially because Paper Girls is about to wrap up. Yeah, and I need to go through my comics because I feel like I may be missing like one of the issues, like one of the most re- more recent issues of Paper Girls in this last trade. And I can't remember, but it's like I don't want it at this point. Though I think it'd, it'd be like three issues ago. So at this point, I don't even think I'd be able to find it at a comic book shop. But I'd just get it on eBay. Yeah, yeah, and that, and I have other books on my pull list where it's like I've fallen so far behind on them that eventually it's like, yeah, I'll be able to read the the 15 or 20 issues that I'm behind on, you know, Williamson's run on the flash, 
But part of me is like, fuck, I want to just keep getting these because at some point he's going to be close to this, the end of this run. And I'm going to have every single one of them is a, you know, a first print in, in good condition where it's, yeah. it's like, fuck, I'll just like put those in their own box and just throw it up on eBay. <laughs> like, Hey, if you want all of these, you know, yeah, and you got and like I'm still I got birthright and I got all the issues of that and I think it's on like its 37th issue or something like that. Wow, that man, and that so, one continues to be good. I mean, granted, I am a few months behind on it, but what I've yeah, read up to was fantastic. Yeah, everything I've read, I can't remember if I got through like the fourth, the fifth, or sixth arc. I don't know if I got through issue 30 or is issue 35 that I read through. But I, I can't. I don't know how much longer he's going to be doing that one. I mean, you would think he would stop at or like forty to fifty. But I mean, that's a pretty long running one. So I'm going to keep getting that one. I have, I have to get current on it, but I loved it when I was reading it. So that's one that I'm going to also just keep keep collecting. And then I may not be reading it for a while. But then once I get it all, I'll just kind of binge read it. Yeah, yeah. I've just lately I've just had too many fucking homeowner expenses that pop up, and it's like, man, that shit fucking sucks. Like. I did this huge battle with my water heater where it was like one morning I just, and th- you know, this is me taking my shower at like five in the morning and I'm like, oh man, this is not as hot as it should be. And so at like five 30 in the morning, I'm down like changing out like a, a heating element. I have an electric water heater. And so I'm down changing a, a heating element in that. And then throughout the next week, I'm just like changing out different components, trying to get the water to fucking work. And so finally at the end, when it was all said, done and settled, I had changed the upper thermostat, the lower thermostat, the upper heating element and the lower heating element. And then I had hot water. Jeez. And while I was down there, I found another pipe that had fucking, that had sprung a leak and was getting to the point where it was going to burst. And so I had to fucking do that. And it's like, I had all these plumbing projects in a week and I hate 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 doing plumbing but i don't know I, I suppose it works out that i just have the skill set that i can actually do those things because it would have been so expensive if i'd have had to have an actual plumber come in and do it yeah that would that's one of those things i don't i can't do that shit so i'd be like i'd be fucked i'd be like um yeah it's not working so i'm gonna have to call someone <laughs> if, it, if it looked like something that wasn't serious i might like get on youtube and like try and figure it out but if it was something that seemed more serious i'd have to call a professional in and then yeah then they get to charge their rate oh my gosh i the first time that that water heater ever went out i had a company come in and do it and they charged me like 230 dollars or something like that and it was just the lower the lower heating element just needed to be replaced which is like a 12 dollar part and they charged me 200 and some dollars to do that and like now it's like dude if i if i ran downstairs right now and decide that I was going to change the lower heating element, I would be done with the project in 15 minutes. Nice. Yeah. So now that you have that knowledge, so you can just do a lot of that stuff. If you see those things happen again, you can, you're saving yourself so much money and labor that they're charging for. Yeah. It's the joy of being a homeowner. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. In that same time span, I went to go mow my yard and the mower didn't start. And so then I had to go drop 150 bucks on a new push mower. Ah, <sighs> It's fun so stuff, dude. When it rains, it pours, it seems like. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> but then since we're in the in the summer months now, we got the pool set up in the backyard again, which the kids love. But um, it's just like a little $300 one that we got from, uh, it was like on sale at Menards. And so it's like four foot deep by like 16 feet around or something like that, soft-sided one. 
And uh, okay. they, they last pretty good, provided you take care of them. But man, prior to getting that pool, I did not fully understand how much work goes into maintaining a fucking backyard swimming pool. Like, it's fucking crazy, dude. I'd imagine. I mean, do you got a, I mean, do you have a, I'm assuming you have put a cover over it and stuff. See, I don't. Or do, you have, just, or do you just drain it? Uh, well, we drain it in the in the wintertime. If my yard were set up differently, I'd just leave it up. I'd, I'd research on what sort of winter preparations you have to do for a pool. But the place where my yard was, backyard was most level to be able to actually put the pool is a bit of a low spot to where I've had certain springs where if the ground's still frozen, but we get a lot of rain, that backyard will basically fill up like a little pond. And so <laughs> in like right where that pool would be, it'd probably be like about three inches of water or so. And then if that were to freeze solid, I was worried it would damage the liner. And so last fall, I just took the whole pool down and I actually had to like do research online. Like how do you fold a pool liner to store it for winter and all that shit. And, and, uh, it, it unfolded just fine. Like I was like, man, if this thing sticks to itself or whatever, and it just rips apart when I go to unfold it, I'm going to be so pissed off. But it's set up fine and everything this year. But it's like the the biggest part is that we we have a cover for it. But what what happens to that cover when you take it off the pool? It's just like laying on the ground, and and then what? It's wet, and so now it's covered in fucking grass clippings since I have to mow so much, you know? Yeah. And because uh, <laughs> it's like that's not just like I swear to God, my yard grows fucking so like I let it go for a week. If I wait seven days in between mowing, like it's like fucking Jurassic Park in my backyard. It's goddamn <laughs> crazy. You're getting notes from the neighbors saying you don't need to, you don't keep your your yard in uh, proper condition for the oh, homeowners. Fuck them. I would wait two weeks to mow if I had mowers. That, if I had neighbors that didn't that thought I didn't mow enough, I would I'd push it out just to be like you don't get to tell me what to do, dickhead. <laughs> right. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> you. Uh, actually, my my one neighbor that that was the one who really cared about his yard. He's actually moving away and, and, and I'm bummed out that they're moving because they were pretty decent neighbors and yeah. who, who the fuck knows I'm, what you're going to get next. Oh my God. I'm so worried about it. Like I, I really like a need house to... of like of teenagers moving in there with oh, their family terrible. of like four with like two teenagers or something. I just, I don't want anybody that's loud, but then also it's like the, the house that's behind mine. It's like a prefab home that's like up on a raised foundation. So like yeah. their kitchen window, like is like a fucking watchtower looking down into my backyard. <laughs> and so it's like, motherfucker. Like, I remember for a while I'd be in the backyard and like, you'd hear that like cat call whistle, you know, mm-hmm. like, I, like I, I suck at whistling in a certain way, but the, you know, like that sort of fucking terrible yeah, shit. I can't whistle. <laughs> so fucking bad. <laughs> but like I kept hearing that in the backyard and then Lindsay told me about it too. And I'm like, I didn't think that our neighbor was like a fucking creep. What's he doing whistling at us? And it turns out they have a big fucking exotic bird. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's just a bird doing it. And that's pretty funny. But I mean, like, like, yeah, no, I don't want some fucking weirdo fucking watching my family through fucking like a watchtower kitchen window fucking jerking off or something like that there's weird people in the world <laughs> yeah there are fucking there's need them living next people. to me <laughs> <laughs> it's like i already hate my one neighbor that runs the three bug zappers year round fucking motherfuckers oh that'd be annoying it is annoying it's like barry allen's mom is getting murked next door every fucking <laughs> night <laughs> i 
fucking hate them. I hate them with a burning passion. (laughs) (laughs) And it's gotten to the point too, where it's like, I'm not going to go over and like have a direct conversation with them about it because I feel like it would escalate. And so it's like, I just need to wait until I like casually run into the guy at the post office at the same time. How the bug zappers doing? That happens every once in a while. Like, dude, can we talk about the bug zappers? <laughs> is is it necessary? Do we need to run them? Because right now I'm fantasizing about Area 51 esque technology, to where it's like, is an MP3 or is a EMP rifle a thing? Right, because I could use it right now. <laughs> it's like James Wetzel, can you build me one of those? Can you give me a directional EMP device that I can just short out their fucking bug zapper from a safe distance? <laughs> can i fill up a super so- super soaker and just like short the thing out from across the fence <laughs> 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 but like really like the most mature and rational thing is like go have a conversation with your neighbor and it's like i don't know i'm seemingly incapable of doing that so maybe that's <laughs> on me but you know what would solve it all if i lived in the middle of fucking nowhere <laughs> there you go you just had so much land around you that you didn't have to be bothered that is right just walk into the front yard and helicopter your dick whenever you want. <laughs> Not that I would do that, but I would like the option. Yeah, if you have the, everyone wants to have that option. I mean, <laughs> if, you're, if you're presented with the option, do you want a house where you can just walk out in the front yard and helicopter your dick? <laughs> every, every guy's going to be like, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> just trying to helicopter in peace, officer. Right. <laughs> I'm not trying to get I'm not trying to get in trouble for indecent exposure. I just want to have that <laughs> just have the ability to do it if I could. <laughs> so anyway, dude, taking care of a pool is a lot of fucking work. Yeah, it sounds like it. <laughs> I don't I don't go into a pool enough to want to have my own, so I still have, I still live in an apartment complex that has pools, so I can just go to one of those when I need to. Nice. But like, man, when I was a kid, I would have I would have fucking killed to have a pool like that in the backyard. And so uh, it's worth the work just to see how much joy it brings the kids in the summertime. Yeah, and also, absolutely. And also it means I don't have to go to ever go to a public pool. It's like, Hey, get the one in the backyard. Have fun. You're going to build up your humanity. Yeah. You're either going to build up your immunity to stuff or you're going to get sick. <laughs> <laughs> like put on your goggles and go dive for pennies in the pool. You're okay. <laughs> Every once in a while, it'll be closed down because someone pooped in it. But <laughs> uh, see, I don't have to deal with that here. Yeah, you never have to worry about that. <laughs> or at least you hope you don't. <laughs> it's like here, I just need like because right now we've just got like the paper filter system that came with it, so it's like a paper filter cartridge that goes in it, and it's like you just need to change those out about once a week. But I want to get a sand filter, which is like a a thing that filters all the water through sand, and that's fucking like a hundred and thirty bucks or so for the one I want. So it's like, ah, I got all these like things that I want and they're all expensive. Yeah. It sucks. <laughs> yeah. It sucks. Once everything you want ends up being, it's not like it's a lot of little things that you can get that just add up to being expensive. So you can kind of pick and choose stuff at the time. But when they're all expensive, it's like, ah, I want, I need both of these, but which one do I want or need now? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then when stupid things like water heaters and mowers break down, like, right, it's always it's, it's always when you decide you're going to spend the money on something that then something unexpected happens. So either you're lucky enough that you didn't purchase what you were going to yet and you can pay for the thing that happened or you're shit out of luck and then you have to deal with both of those things. Yeah, yeah. But I think the worst task with that is that like 
you know, like little bits of like dirt and airborne dust and stuff like that that, that settles in the pool eventually settle on the bottom. And so you got to like hook up like a like a vacuum type attachment to your filter. And then you're basically like vacuuming the entire bottom of the pool and you got to hit every fucking square inch of it. Oh, oh yeah. And now the bugs have returned. So the whole time that you're stuck doing that. You can drill by mosquitoes or something. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's fun being a part time pool boy. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, okay, so here's a total random, but what are your thoughts on Old Town Road? Fucking hate it. Thank you. Thank you so so, fucking much. (laughs) So annoying. I can't even get past the first, like, two seconds of it. Once I hear it start, I'm, like, always skipping next on, like, a shuffle or whatever it would be. God, I hate it. So dumb. (laughs) It's fucking terrible. I brought it up to my kids because I was like, all right, they're younger. They're entitled to their own opinions. That's fine. It's it's. I'm gonna make peace with it if they like it. And they both said they hated it. Oh, and thank God. <laughs> my 11 year old was like, on one of the last days of school, they were just playing lunch or playing music in the lunchroom, and that came on, and everybody around me was singing it. It was so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine a cafeteria full of fucking 11 year olds all singing Old Town Road? I would jump out through the window as quick as possible. <laughs> But it's fucking blowing up, man. It's a thing. There's a lot of people who are really into it. Yeah, and that guy's made a shit ton of money from it, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, for sure, right? And you know what's funny is that he's far from the first person to mix, like, a, a country element into rap. And and it's almost like there are people talking about it, like, this has never been done. Right? And it's like, no, <laughs> no, it's been done. <laughs> yeah, multiple people have done it. Did you ever this hear Sir, something new? Did you ever hear Sir Mix-a-Lot's Swass album? No, I didn't listen to a whole lot of Sir Mix-a-Lot. Okay, so this was an album that came out before I think it was uh Testarossa was the one that had Baby Got Back on it. And so this came out before that. And it's like okay. his DJ or something like that has a super high-pitched voice, and he does two tracks on that album. One of them's called Buttermilk Biscuits, and the other's called I think Square Dance Rap. And the Buttermilk Biscuits one is like <laughs> It's like, I remember I heard that like in the early 90s, because I think this album came out in like 86, 87, something like that. And it's, it is, it's like a fucking country version of rap. And it's the guy's got this high pitched voice. <laughs> and it's fucking fantastic. It's like buttermilk biscuits, here we go. Sift the flour, roll the dough. Oh my God. It's fucking awesome. <laughs> <That> sounds- <laughs> <laughs> See, okay so i've got the equipment on order i'm just waiting for it to come in but eventually i just need this right type of cable and then i'll be able to play audio drops live on the show and i'm fucking kicking myself that i didn't order this ten dollar cable already because i really wish i could play it for you live so you could hear it oh my god it sounds it just <laughs> sounds hilarious i always i mean but yeah like they're country music and rap like all kinds of music have been mixed i mean i know some other like nappy roots does kind of has like a country twist on rap. Um, there's a, an album from bone thugs and harmony where they kind of, yes, um, I was going to bring used, that one up too. Yeah. They used uh, Fleetwood Mac stuff a lot in it. And that was a really good album too. So it's not like this is anything new, but yeah, like you were saying, there's just it's the new thing that's out now. So everyone wants to listen to it and it's blown up because of it. Yeah. I, I remember that there was a bone thong, uh, a bone thong. <laughs> 
a bone song that came out that that had some sort of I don't remember any of the music for it though. I oh, remember yeah, not yeah, liking a, it though. Yeah, there's the song Ghetto Cowboy. Maybe that was it. That's I, I remember not. That's the song that's it. like it sounds like a country. It's like a country song, um, with just kind of like a some more like some hip hop elements with maybe just like the lyricism, but then has like a tiny bit of um I don't know like snares or something like instrumental that like makes you think more of hip hop, but it's mainly sounds kind of like a country song. Yeah, it is disgusting. <laughs> I actually didn't mind it too much. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's no old town road. I can tell you that. <laughs> I'll allow it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, I played buttermilk biscuits for the kids and they loved that one. And so I was like, all right, <laughs> once again, you've made your father so proud. Right. You're, you're listening to the right stuff. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Um, you know what's funny is that I had the, the eight-year-old in the car uh, on one of my trips to the hardware store to go get stuff for the plumbing projects. He's my little adventure buddy. He'll go with me for those sorts of trips. And um, what was it? My wife, like to this day, I've resolutely refused to listen to Baby Shark and I've still never heard it and I'm okay with that. To the point where if anybody uh, tries to play it or starts singing it around me, I'll leave the fucking room. I just know. Smart choice. Yeah, smart I, choice. I've, I've made it this far in life without it, and I would prefer to continue the rest of my life without it. Thank you very much. Um, but, but my wife played a version of it for the kids. It was like a heavy metal version of Baby Shark. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess the seven-year-old was super into it. And so one of the times that me and him were on a trip, I was playing different because I have lots of of like death metal in the car. And so I played him Job for a Cowboy's first album and I played him uh, the Black Dahlia Murder, their nocturnal album. And he is a huge fucking fan to the point where now when me and the seven year old are riding in the car together, he wants to listen to the Black Dahlia Murder. And I couldn't be (laughs) happier about it. It's, it's it'd be funny because like for most people that wouldn't be like the musical choice that you think a, a father and son would be listening to in the car on their no. way to the hardware store. No, we we get definitely weird looks in the Lowe's parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> Have it blaring with the windows down. <laughs> it's a reasonable volume. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think like speaking of like like tunes on the go. The radio on a motorcycle has always blown my fucking mind. Right? Is it's that so, necessary? It's so. I feel like it's so loud too. <laughs> it's so intrusive. <laughs> They're just like blaring their music, and they always give you like a dirty look if you look at them weird. Like, <laughs> why is your fucking music so loud? Yeah. <laughs> like, there's no way you can hear anything. <laughs> They need to like program those things so that when they come to a fucking stop, like the volume just immediately goes down to an acceptable level. Yeah, that would be yeah, because it makes sense for them to need it loud when they're when they're actually moving because of the wind and everything. But yeah, when they're when they're stopped at stop stoplights and stuff, it's just it's obnoxious sometimes. <laughs> it is obnoxious, and it makes me feel so old <laughs> that I'm complaining about this. But God damn it, turn down your music. I fucking go in that direction. Did I did I tell you about when I had to yell at kids to get out of my yard and I had to come to that? <laughs> I think I think you may have mentioned to it before. That fucking truth about myself. <laughs> Well, like hanging out and I'm just hearing this, like these weird combination of sounds coming from the yard, like this high pitched, like whirring noise, like an electrical motor and then like a crash. And then also hearing another bang at the same time that was all, and this was all very rhythmic all going on at the same time. 
I look outside and there's four of the neighborhood kids in my front yard right next to a stop sign. One of them is in like one of those like, I don't know, one of those like electric cars, you know, that kids can ride around in. And he's just going forward and slamming it into the pole of the stop sign and then backing it up three feet and then going forward and slamming it in over and over again. And then another (laughs) kid was taking a basketball and throwing it and bouncing it off the stop sign at the same time. And I'm like, what the fuck? And so I stick my head out the door. I'm like, hey, go play in your own yards. (laughs) The one kid's like, why? I'm like, because this isn't your yard. Get the fuck out of here. I go back inside. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm that person. I'm that person. I remember when I was a kid, there was this one yard I used to cut through all the time on my bike. And not like cut through the yard like I do a lot of it. It was like, no, I just kind of cut the right angle into more of like I just take like a 15 minute or like a like a 15 foot jaunt through like a corner of this guy's yard on my bike and that guy like set up with a fucking lawn chair and waited for me to do it and he yelled at me <laughs> it's like i remember i remember our neighbors for my brother because him and his friends would always ride their bikes through people's yards our neighbor ended up putting up a fucking fence <laughs> because they did it so much he didn't want them to go through their yard See? yeah that's the power move and i hope i never get to that point but if it i do power move. if i do i think i'll understand it because it was like one of those legit like seven foot high wood fences that you can't like look over into his yard like you couldn't really hop his <laughs> fence easily and it was like one of those projects like he did himself he didn't hire someone to come out and do it one day he just so like you saw the the gradual progression of this fence being built by him and so like there was no way my brother was going to be able to cut through his yard now because he was always out there working on it. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I worked for a place a long time ago, The uh, a place I did window tinting for years and years ago. The lady I worked for was, like, really fucking crazy. And she had, like, an ongoing feud going with, like, the business right next door to her, where they were, like, a plumbing supply place, and their vans would, like, cut through a part of her parking lot. Because apparently the property line went down to where this other business had just enough room for like a single vehicle length to go along the side of their building. But they were like basically driving through her parking lot just to make it easier to go in and out. And then other times they were going clear around her building. And so apparently she'd already had this conversation with them a bunch of times about how she didn't like it. And they were, and she was threatening to, you know, put up a fence going right along the property line that would have really fucked them over and made it difficult for their vans to get in and out. And uh, in my first week of working there, she made me go over and relay that message to them. (laughs) And I'm like, what? Why are you making me do that? I don't give a fuck about these vans. Why don't you go fucking tell them this message? Why do I got to go over and be an asshole to these people? I don't fucking know. But now I have to see all the time because we practically share a parking lot. And, uh, yeah, she eventually put up a fence. She eventually called them <laughs> on. It was like, fuck you. And, like she had all these big steel fucking fence posts, like concrete drilled into the fucking parking lot. So it's like, wow. And yeah, it's fu- like the ultimate power move right there. What's funny is she's not even operating out of that building anymore, <laughs> but the fucking fence poles are all still there. <laughs> <laughs> And it's not even a nice fence. It's just like all poles with like just like a cable run in between them all. So it's like just clearly meant as a fuck you, you know? Yeah, it's not even to appeal to other people. It's just like, nope, this is my personal space. <laughs> <laughs> Stay out. God, I think she was involved in multiple lawsuits also while I was working for her. Like, God, what a miserable person she had to have been. 
Yeah, it sounds like it. Oh, she was just terrible to work for, too. I do not miss that fucking gig at all. What was terrible <laughs> is I had to sign a fucking contract when I started working there. And so if I would have quit in the first year, I would have had to have paid her like $3,000 because she claimed that that's what my training costs were. So oh, I was like, I have to stick this out. There's no way I'm paying this crazy person to quit. <laughs> <You know>? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, sometimes you make mistakes when you're a kid and you fucking learn from them. Like, I, I yep. think I got that job when I was like 20, 22. So, yeah. yeah oh, we, well. live, we live and we hopefully learn from our mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I learned a lot about window tinting there, which is, there you go. which is interesting shit, but. I remember my buddy, his dad owned uh, um, basically like a stereo uh, type place that you would put your like put in your car. Oh, nice. And, like that. Also, and they also did window tinting. So when I when we were in high school and I got my first car, his he, um, his dad put my win- his window like the window tint on for just the cost. So oh, it was, was like, nice of him. So it was like eighty or ninety bucks for the whole car with the brow, and it was like the limo tint all the way around it was oh my god you had that on your driver and passenger windows (laughs) yeah you couldn't fucking see yeah i was gonna say how was that when you need to back out of somebody's driveway in the dark dude my brother's (laughs) my my brother's car still has like that super dark window tent and at night he can't fucking he's like he's like it's so dark outside or something like that and he's because he's trying to read street signs from like his 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 driver's side uh window and stuff and it's only because he has the such dark window tent (laughs) he can't see out the side of his car (laughs) see iowa law they'll pull you over and ticket you for that you can't uh, at the time i was doing window tinting you needed to have a 70 percent light transmittance uh to uh to be legal so yeah, he has limo tent has a five percent light transmittance. <laughs> yeah, he had, he got a he had a he got a loophole around it. Um, he got a doctor to give him a a prescription. Um, same or not a prescription, but like a a note a or whatever. Basically, yeah, basically saying that he has fair skin, so he needs the the darkness so the sun doesn't cause damage <laughs> to him. So <laughs> he wanted to put one over on the cops there. So like he can drive with it, but like if I were to drive his car and get pulled over, then it's like I'd get, I'd get in trouble for it. Yep. Yep. See, Iowa has that sort of one also, but with a medical waiver, you still need to have a 35% light transmittance. And so like, <laughs> like I have 50 on the front windows of my, my Saturn and it's, I've never been pulled over for it, but when I had 50, on my mom and dad's car, my dad said he got pulled over for it constantly. But uh, they, we, we all had medical waivers also. I feel like in Ohio, you can have it as dark as you want around like the back window and the pa- the back passengers. Yeah, the windows. rear half of the vehicle. Yeah, but then the driver passengers have to be a different tent. Like only you can only be so dark. I can't remember what it is. Yep, yep. And and when I was doing that window tinting at that place, we were like the only shop that like stuck to that. Because people come in, they'd be like, oh, yeah, I want to do limo tin all the way around. I'm like, I can't. I'm like, I can go as dark as 50% for you, and you're going to have to sign something saying that you understand that I told you that this is only legal with a medical waiver. They'd be like, ooh, I'm paying for it. And I'm like, I don't care. Like, we're not we're not going to be involved in that sort of stuff to where if you run yeah. somebody off the road because you couldn't see out your tin windows, you know, we don't want to have any part of that. And so that, that was one rule that this lady had that I really appreciated. But um, I remember we'd have fucking cops come in to want to get their cruisers done, and they would want 5% all the way around, and I'd tell them the same shit. And then they were the ones who'd throw the biggest fits. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be like, look, dude, I understand that you are the law, but you shouldn't be breaking the law either. Like, fuck you. Yep. 
Yeah, I feel like, especially like nowadays, you wouldn't be able to do that because I think back in the day with window tending, you could kind of get away with having like going to those shops where we'll do it five percent all the way around or whatever. But nowadays, because of like you were saying, if someone were to get into a crash, I think a lot more people nowadays would try to go after those window tending companies. Like, well, it's your fault they got in the crash because their window tent was so dark. So we're going to sue you for negligence or wrongful death or something like that. I mean, yeah, you never know what direction an insurance company is going to want to go to try and avoid paying out. Yeah, they do. They do everything they can to avoid paying out. Yeah. And, that, and that's one of the sneaky things that that like freaks me out about, like, for instance, I have that climbing wall out in my garage and, you know, for a while there, you know, I haven't been going out and climbing regularly, but I had a friend that wanted to keep coming over and using it. And he kept wanting to bring over all these people that I didn't know. And they were out there climbing and I wasn't even out there. And it was like, dude, I am not comfortable with you bringing over people I don't know to where if they fucking land on a pad weird and break their arm or something like that. And then their insurance company, you know, they might not decide to sue me, but their fucking insurance company sure as hell could. Yeah. I remember um, when I was a kid, my dad got me and my brother. um, And since you're not real familiar with sports, you probably don't know the company, but there was a, a basketball hoop company called Gorilla. And it was basically like the same type of backboards and rims that were on like the NBA courts, but they sold, they had like a, an outdoor line that they sold for driveways and stuff like that, that you would get drilled into your edge of your grass or whatever and stuff like that. So we had like the nicest basketball hoop in the neighborhood at the time. And we went out, of, I was, I was young. I think I was probably like seven or something like that. But some, my brother's eight years older than me, so he had like high school friends and stuff, and they always played basketball out there. Well, I know we went on vacation one time, and some other kids in the neighborhood, like that, knew about our the hoop, came over and were like fucking around on it and stuff. And one kid, um, like they're all trying to dunk on the hoop, and they couldn't get to it. And I guess the one kid got like his tooth caught in the net and it ripped out. Jesus! And, and the parents were trying to sue us, but since they like, trespassed on our property, like they didn't have permission to come onto our property. There was nothing that they technically could do because, but they were trying to sue us saying it was our fault that his son's tooth got ripped out. Yeah. And, and those sorts of people, those litigious minded people like that ruin fucking everything. Right. The, they're the reason we can't have nice things. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Like the, it's like the person that sues McDonald's because their coffee was hot. Yeah. <laughs> it's like fuck you yeah you're yeah. trying to beat the system in so many fucking ways right now yeah those people suck fuck them yep <laughs> well fuck man on that note i think we can start to wrap this shit up yeah man that's not wrap good this shit up. <laughs> wrap <it> up. <laughs> literally <laughs> like if you could describe it as anything better let me know <laughs> seriously dude when it comes to fucking writing show descriptions for this show I'm fucking, I'm out. I'm out of creative ideas. <laughs> Pretty soon it's just going to be to the point where it's just, yep, I talk with this person. Yep. Like, <laughs> like, names. like this one will be easy to an extent because at least for the first quarter of the show, we talked about a subject. But otherwise, yeah, it's like, like when it's just the stream of conscious shows like this, it's like, what, what, what do you write for a description? I don't like, know. Can aliens rock climb? <laughs> <laughs> they don't need to <laughs> it's like we touch on both of those subjects of aliens and rock climbing yeah see like i, I don't know the the other idea is what do i do do i just like keep a notepad next to me while i'm doing an episode and write down every single subject we talk about that's weird yeah so i don't know 
I don't know. Basically, this is my PSA saying going forward, the show notes are going to start getting real lazy. (laughs) (laughs) You've been warned. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, dude, thank you so much for taking time out on the Saturday morning and chatting with me. Uh, It's it's been fucking awesome. No, man, I appreciate having having me on again, man. It's so much fun just getting to shoot the shit like we always do back and forth. Hell yeah, man. And um, yeah, this is... If I can drag myself back into my goddamn pull list instead of just buying them and letting them stock up, we need to get back to doing more comic talk stuff. Hell yeah, definitely. I need to get caught up on, like, I know Redneck and stuff like that, because I know you're you're more current on it than me, so I need to get to a point where I can actually, like, get caught up on it. And then, I mean, I'm sure Donnie Cates is still doing some amazing stuff, so. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I don't see that guy slowing down at all. Nope. <laughs> Well, awesome. So yeah, check us out on number one comic books. If you don't already, uh, every episode we talk a new number one, each, each of the, the hosts on the show picks a book. So every episode we're covering four new number ones and, uh, we have a good time doing that. That's me and Rod and Brian and Rebecca, um, Rod with the new stranger things coming out. Any chance of, of you trying to, to do more of your turn it up to 11? Um, possibly. I haven't talked to Paul about it recently, but I mean, yeah, it comes out in a couple weeks. Um, it's difficult though, because it's almost like you can't, it would have been, it'd be nice at times if like with Hulu where you can, they drop like an episode a week. So it'd be easier to review. Otherwise it's like, we basically can with how popular the show is. If we want to do them, we almost just have to do one long episode, just kind of talking about that season instead of the way we were doing it at the beginning where we were reviewing each episode. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. Just binge the whole thing and then just, you know, discuss it as a whole. Like that's yeah, just yeah. Just give a recap. Yeah. So hopefully I'll I'll reach out to Paul and we who knows, maybe we'll do a third season of it. <laughs> nice. Awesome, dude. Well, thank you all so much for listening. Until next time, this has been Startcast. <laughs>